Just a moment ago, we sang of Jesus that he is word of the Father now in flesh appearing. And those words are drawn directly from the Gospel of John chapter 1, where our church family has been for the last few weeks. So I want to invite you to read with me from the Gospel of John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. These words will be on the screen behind me. I invite you to read aloud with me from God's Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the matchless and priceless gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Who himself was very God of very God, the word who became flesh. The immortal God who took on mortal flesh, who took on the likeness of sinful men to come to this world to rescue a sinful and broken and rebellious people to come here and live the perfect life that we could never live, to stand in our place in death, to die a death on a cross that we deserve, who rose again from the grave, who triumphs over sin, death, hell, and the grave, who is victorious over all things, that we could, by faith and repentance, come to him and be saved. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that you sent him to us. Thank you that he has come to us to show us what you're like, that we can look at him, we can see his example, and we can know who you are. So Father, tonight, will you just once again let the hope and the message of the light of the gospel fall fresh on our hearts. Father, tonight, even as we celebrate the reality that your son has come to us, we anticipate the reality that he's coming again. We set our eyes on that day, and we ask until then that we could rest in the promise that you are with us, that you will never leave us, you will never forsake us. So Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Be glorified through your word. I ask these things in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And everyone said, amen, amen. Amen. You can go ahead uh, and have a seat. A few weeks ago, over Thanksgiving, uh, we uh, took our boys to go watch Frozen 2. Has anybody else jumped on that train yet so far? Uh, Very good. And uh, so adults, grownups in the room, if you're anything like me, you've been humming into the unknown for the better part of the last three, four weeks. It's just seared into my conscience, one of those songs that I can't get out of my head. And we we enjoyed the movie. And just a few days ago, 
Uh, Frozen 2 eclipsed a billion dollars at the worldwide box office. A billion dollars for an animated movie about a magical ice princess or something like that. And this is not a normal movie that our family gets to go to. We got three boys, and so there's not a lot of princesses uh, going on in our home, but we're on board, you know, with Olaf and and, and Kristoff and Sven and all those guys as well. We had had a really good time. And so when you you look at a movie like this, and this is, you know, far from being the first movie to to eclipse that milestone, you look at a movie like that, you got to ask the question, what is it the foundation? What is the storyline? of a movie that will sell a billion dollars worth of tickets globally. And so if you've not seen the movie, you're not familiar, here's just a very basic synopsis of what happens in Frozen 2 and of this movie that's made a billion dollars globally. And as I'm reading this, I want you to ask yourself, does this at all sound familiar? So the basic storyline is this, is that there's a young queen with extraordinary power. And she loves her people so much that she leaves the comfort of her own home and sacrifices herself to save them. And then she miraculously returns from what appears to be certain death. And in returning, she saves not only her own people, she saves another people, Northaldra, that many people thought were unsavable. Does that story sound familiar to you at all? It's a pretty strong storyline. But, but with all due respect to Disney and to, to Elsa, I got a lot of respect for them. It's all well and good, nothing against them. With all due respect to them, uh, they are far from being the very first ones to ever tell this story. And the narrative of Frozen 2, I think the reason why a movie like that makes a billion dollars globally is because it's a shadow of the story that draws us here tonight. And it's a true story of a young king with extraordinary power who leaves the comfort of his home because he loves his people so much that he's willing to sacrifice himself in order to save them. And then he returns from what was absolutely certain death and saves not only his own people, but another people, the Gentiles, who many people once thought were unsavable. The story resonates with all people for all time because this is a story that God has written from eternity past. When we get into John chapter one, which we read just a moment ago, John introduces Jesus to us as the word capital W. He, he tells us that he's the word who became flesh. Over the last few weeks, our church family has talked about the significance and the meaning of that term word. The word that John uses there for word is from the Greek logos. And this is a word that carried a tremendous amount of significance for the entire world at this point in time. For, for the people of God, the Jews, uh, this term logos represented the fullness of knowledge and wisdom and understanding. And then for the Greek-speaking world, this term logos represented the logic and the rule and the reason and the principle that governed the universe and held all things together. And John says in John 1 that Jesus, the Word who became flesh, he was the Word in the beginning. He had always been with the Father. He himself was God, had been in the beginning with God. And so what John makes abundantly clear at the very beginning of John chapter one is a very simple truth, is that Jesus Christ is the eternal God who has been from the beginning. And yet he has come in the flesh to visit his people, to be God with us, to show us what God is like. The end of John's gospel account says that Christ came and he did everything that he did so that we may believe in him, find salvation in him, find life in his name. And this is the story that's at the foundation of every good story. This is a story that's etched in some way in the heart of every single person. This is a story that we're all drawn to because it is ultimately the story that God has been telling from eternity past. John 1.14 says that this word, God himself became flesh and he dwelt among us. We call this miracle the incarnation. It's uh, the base of this, this miracle that the foundation is that the eternal God who had no beginning was born as a man in the flesh. You know, oftentimes when we think of God in, in terms of his relation to us, when you, see, you hear songs about God or we talk about God, oftentimes we, we talk or we sing about God who is above us. 
or we talk about how God is around us. I think we cling to these notions because we like the idea that there is a God who is up above us, looking down on us, looking out for us, that there is a God who surrounds us, who protects us, who brings us security. But John takes this a step further and tells us that Jesus is not just God above us or God around us. He's God among us. He's God with us. Here in just a few moments, we'll sing that name, Emmanuel, and it means very simply, God with us. What we have in Jesus Christ is not a picture of a God who is distant, not a picture of a God who is far off, not a picture of a God who is disconnected from the pain and sorrow and difficulty and brokenness of his people, but a God who came to visit his people, who came to be among them, who came as fully God to live the perfect life that they could never live and as fully man to die the death that we all deserve. Tonight, many of us probably come in here for for many different reasons. A number of us are here tonight because this is our church family and we we anticipate this time where we can come together uh, during the Advent season. We celebrate uh, the reality that Christ has come to us. We understand the significance of the Advent season of the word who became flesh and how God has come and visited his people. And so tonight, we're just simply here out of a spirit of worship and celebration for what God has done in giving us his son, Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here tonight, you you wouldn't consider yourself a believer or follower of Christ. And maybe you're, you're just graciously here to, that because you, you wanted to come with friends, you wanted to come with family, or maybe you're here tonight because you're, you're not really sure what this is all about, who Jesus is, who God is, what he's about. Many of us might, you come him here tonight, come towards the end of the year, and you look back on the last 12 months, and it's just been a year marked by joy. You, you, you see God's hand of blessing and provision on your family. You, you've seen it in your work. You've seen it in school. You've seen it in your life. And many of us may be coming here tonight in a spirit more of sorrow. It's been a struggle. It's been a difficult year in your life, in your work, in your family, in your school. And so what I hope all of us here in this room tonight, regardless of where you're coming from, is this one very simple truth, is that Jesus is God with us. And that no matter where we are, no matter where we're coming from, no matter what we've done, no matter how far from God we may seem or feel, Jesus is God with us. He is the word of the Father who has appeared in the flesh. And we can, in his name, find salvation and be saved. So who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? John shows us two very simple truths that we're going to meditate on here for just a few moments from John chapter one. First, John tells us that Jesus is fully God and he's fully man. The word became flesh. And John says he dwelt among us. He dwelt among us. If you you literally translate those words, what John is saying is that Jesus came and he pitched his tent among us. He tabernacled among us. This is intimate language. Uh, this past, uh, excuse me, a couple months ago over fall break, I got to take our, our two oldest boys on a camping trip. And this is something I try to do with them every single year. I love to camp. They love to go camping. And so we'd gone uh, last year when our oldest was five and our, our middle was, was three. And so this year, you know, they're, they're a year older. And the tent that I usually take for camping, uh, it's really a two-person adult tent. But with uh, the two of them being, you know, smaller guys, I'm like, okay, we can all cram in there. Last year, it was no problem. Well, I, I really didn't take into account the fact that my boys have actually grown a little bit this year. And, and, and so we were among each other, right? I mean, we, we were camped out right there on Hunting Island, right off the edge of the beach. It was beautiful. It was one of the greatest nights of sleep I've ever had camping with the ocean in the background. But little buddy Nolan is about two in the morning. That brother just got his hand draped right across my face. And I'm like, we need a bigger tent. That this is a little more among than I'm really interested in having. And yet this is what God has done for us in Christ. He sent him to be among us, to be with us, that we could have an intimate relationship with him. Here's the foundation of the message of the gospel is that there's an infinitely holy creator God who 
in his divine providence, in his sovereignty, he desires to have a relationship with us. He's created us in his image to be in relationship with him. But something has gone seriously wrong with you and I. That instead of having that relationship with the Lord, instead of being satisfied in that relationship with him, we all choose our sin. And sin takes on a number of different forms. It takes on words, it takes on action, it takes on behaviors. But but for many of us, it's, it's not just about the evil things we do running away from God. Many people sin in religion by thinking they can work their way to God. Every single one of us, the Bible says across the board, whether it's through religion or through rebellion, we have traded the relationship with God with something else. And we're all desperately in need of salvation. And what's even worse about this is that you and I have no power in and of ourselves to work our way back into good relationship with him. This cannot be removed, our sin, by any amount of good deeds, by no amount of church attendance, by no amount of financial giving, by no amount of of charity work. Nothing that we do in this life is ever going to be good enough to attain the perfect holiness and perfection that we're called to by an infinitely holy and perfect God. And it's the bad news, but that's not where Jesus leaves us. The good news of the gospel is that God has seen us in that helpless estate. He's seen us in our sin. He's seen us in that brokenness. He sees us in that sorrow and he sends his son, Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man, who can come here and live the perfect life we couldn't live and stand in our place, die instead of us, die in place of us, the death that we deserve to observe the full wrath of the father on him so that we could look at the perfect finished work of Jesus Christ, know that we could never work our way into heaven, but by faith and repentance find eternal life and salvation through him, which he gives to us as a free gift. This is what God desires for us. And this is why it's so important that Jesus came as fully God and fully man. Because if he wasn't fully God, he wouldn't have been able to live this perfect life that none of us could live. But because he became fully man, he was able to stand in our place and take our penalty and death that we deserve. He's fully God and he's fully man. And more than this, John tells us that he's full of grace and full of truth. Jesus came to us as fully God and fully man, and he came to us as full of grace and full of truth. And even within the church culture today, that there's a little bit of a war between these two words, truth and grace. What we have is just a, a faction that's really splitting the church in many ways right down the middle across our world is you've got uh, more of a, of a conservative side that's really stressing like, hey, we need to focus on the truth. We need to focus on doctrine. We got to focus on theology. We got to focus on on right teaching. We got to focus on the fact that God is holy and he's righteous and he's just and he's perfect. Yes and amen. But sometimes what happens is we get so focused on the truth that we forget the very people we're supposed to reach with the truth. And on the opposite end of the stream, what we get is, is a group of people says, no, 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 we need to focus on grace. Because God's a God of love, and God is a God of mercy, and God is a God of forgiveness, and God's a God of acceptance, and a God of of tolerance. But, But we love people so much that we never get to the place of addressing what is keeping them separate from God, which is their sin. And when we come here to John 1, 14, and we look at who is Jesus, is he a God of love? Is he a God of grace? Is he a God of truth? Is he a God of holiness or righteousness or justice? What is he? We're not given the option to separate truth and grace because John doesn't say that Jesus came to us full of grace or truth. He says he came full of grace and truth. Jesus was the full, perfect embodiment of both of these colliding together in the perfect mixture of God and man who could come to us because here's the reality. The truth of the gospel says that we've sinned. The truth of the gospel says that we are all sinners in need of a savior, but the hope of the gospel is that God has shown us grace and he sent his son, Jesus Christ. That's why the announcement that's made by the angel on that mountainside in Luke chapter two is so profound. 
And it comes there to, to people who were in a weary world, desperately in need of rejoicing. He comes to a people who had not heard a word from the Lord in more than 400 years, and he comes to the most unlikely group of people, a group of shepherds on a hillside, and the angel proclaims this, Behold, I bring you good news. Is anybody else just tired of hearing bad news? Is anybody else just, just so fed up with every time it feels like you, you log on to social media or you turn on the TV, like we just see this nonstop cycle of bad news? And so the angel comes proclaiming, I bring you good news of great joy, and it's for all people. It's not just going to be for God's unique chosen people, the Jews. It's going to be for all people, including the Gentiles, a people who were once thought unsavable by the people of God. It's going to be for all people because he's the Logos. He himself is the full embodiment of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding the way the Jews taught. And he himself was the logic and rule and reason and principle that held the universe together as the Greeks taught. He has come for all people that all people would see him and know him and see this picture of the God who came in the flesh, who loves us so much, who so desires a relationship with us that he sent his son Jesus to be with us. And regardless of where we're coming at from, from in this room tonight, you know, every single one of us in some capacity needs to be confronted with either truth or grace. Some of us tonight, I, I think if I could just speak a word to you in love, is we, we need to be confronted about the truth and the reality of our sin. We're choosing something. We're seeking our satisfaction. We're seeking our salvation in all of the wrong things that this world has to offer. We're, we're worshiping a false God who cannot save our souls. And the result of that is that it's creating this chasm, this separation between us and God. And if we do not repent of our sins, turn of our sins, and put our faith in Jesus Christ, we'll face the condemnation of God's judgment. But many of us in this room, we need to be reminded of God's grace. Because so many of us that have come in here and we're racked by, by grief and guilt of, of sin, of mistakes, of your past, maybe even of your present and just feeling, man, I've fallen one too many times. God can't save me. He can't forgive me again. He won't restore me again. But here is the good news of the gospel is that you cannot and will not ever out the grace of God. His grace is always one step ahead of your sin. And Jesus Christ, who came to this earth as fully God and fully man, full of grace and full of truth, so that we could know the reality of our need for a Savior. Several months ago, we had someone within our church family who had come to know the Lord. And as, as he shared his, his video testimony, this is what he said. The first several times he heard the message of the gospel, he, he said it like this. He said, I heard the, the truth and it offended me. Because this is what the truth does, is it confronts us. We're confronted with the reality of our sin. We're confronted with the reality of, of our brokenness. And it's a, it's a foreign substance to us. We don't know what to quite, quite know what to do with it when we hear it because we, we want to believe that we're perfectly fine just the way that we are, that we're perfectly self-sufficient. And many you know, would say today, even of, of us as followers of Christ or, or just any religious system in general, they say, well, you only need that because it's a crutch. But listen, I've read this Bible and it's abundantly clear. I wasn't just limping along. We are dead in our sins. We don't just need a crutch. We need to be raised to new life. And this is what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so he said, I heard the truth of the gospel and it offended me. But what happened over time is he also heard about God's grace for sinners. And he, he experienced the grace of the people of God around him who, who welcomed him in and who, who gave him community and who gave him family and surrounded him with love as a result that is, is that he's given his life to Christ. And this is the story and the hope of the gospel is that Jesus has come to us as fully God and fully man, full of grace and full of truth. Because the truth is, 
We are sinners in need of a Savior, but God in His grace has given us that Savior. The cross is the original Christmas tree. The greatest gift that you and I have ever been given was not nestled under it. It was nailed to it. And that baby who drew his first breaths in that major became the man who cried, it is finished from the cross. And with that pronouncement came the reality that the the light had finally and fully overcome the darkness, that the head of the serpent had been crushed. God in the flesh had come and he had paid the final penalty for our sins that we could never pay on our own. When Jesus said, it is finished at the cross, it was the announcement that all of our funeral plans were canceled and that good news had come. And so my my hope for every single one of us tonight, again, regardless of where you're coming from, regardless of what your background is, listen, do not make your judgment about the church by looking at me. Do not make your judgment about the church by looking at the church just as an organization or as an institution. Make your judgment by looking at Christ, the man who is fully God and fully man, who's full of grace and full of truth. He was born to die so that you and I could be born again and live. And that's the hope that we cling to this evening. The child who came to us became the man who conquered the grave. And so tonight, even as we come in here, we we certainly gather in a spirit of celebrating the fact that Jesus has come. But we also do this in a spirit of anticipation, the reality that he's coming again. And we can be confident that he's going to come again because he's already come to us once. But in the meantime, this is what Jesus has given to all of his followers. These are his parting words to his disciples in the Great Commission of Matthew chapter 28. He tells them, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And then he gives this promise, behold, I am with you always. Christmas is not just about the fact that God was with us. It's the hope that he is with us. Wherever you are tonight, wherever you're coming from, whatever you're experiencing, whatever you're going through, Jesus is God with us. He's fully God and fully man, and he's full of grace, and he's full of truth. So Father, as we we close this time together this evening with this short glimpse of who your son Jesus Christ We thank you for the one who became a man, as C.S. Lewis said, to enable men to become sons of God. That he did not come simply to live with us, but to die for us. So Father, tonight would we see his glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father that is full of grace and truth. Would this message resonate in our hearts? Would you confront us with the truth of our sin and then would you comfort us with the hope of your grace? Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who's come to us. So be glorified now as we worship. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen.